Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So how many of you guys, I'm going to speak to the guys this morning, how many of you guys remembered that today is Valentine's Day? Uh, Okay, I'm looking around, I don't see any panicked looks on people's expressions, so that's cool. All right, Um, usually, you know, I am so, I thank the Lord every time for Walmart, because I mean, they're open 24 hours and they've always got something there, right? (laughs) I won't go there. But anyways, uh, (laughs) you know, that could really strike panic in you, right? If you're all like, (gasps) oh! Today was Valentine's Day. Um, you know, one good way to remember dates and important things, and my wife's always telling me that, is write it down. Write it down so you don't forget. And uh, so that's a, that's a good reminder. Did you know that God has a book that he writes things down to remember, to remind himself of things? Did you know that? It's true. It's in Malachi 3.16. It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Every time you talk to somebody else about Jesus, every time you're in a Bible study and you're sharing what the Lord's doing in your life and you're talking about how good Jesus is, you know that it's being recorded in a book so that Jesus remembers that? Not that he would forget. I mean, he's not forgetful, but, but he does that to remind. I mean, that's such a beautiful thing. Remembering is a very important theme throughout the Bible. You, can, you can't go from page to page without there being something about remembering or reminding. When the children of Israel, when they were going through the, promise, or going through the wilderness and uh, they came to the promised land, different things would happen in their history and God would tell them, hey, set up a pile of stones and it'll be a memorial so that you remember what happened here. And, you know, you and I, and I've said this many times before, it's so important for us to have memorials in our lives, things that we remember. Because, you know, you go back and you remember, man, God was faithful in this time. It reminds us of his faithfulness in the past. And when he reminds us of his faithfulness, when we remember what he did in the past, it'll guide us in the present. Hey, I think I can trust God because, you know, he's been faithful to me in the past. And it also gives us hope for the future. And sometimes we come against things that seem so overwhelming, and uh, it, it, sometimes things can be frightening. But if you remember back, oh, I remember I had a, a similar situation, and man, I was really scared there, but God was just, he was with me and blessed me through it. When you do that, it, it just builds you up. And the Bible mentions that throughout the Bible, remembering things. Communion, you know, we, we celebrate communion here once a month here at the church, first Sunday of the month. And it's to remind us, of Christ's sacrifice for our sins, to remind us, man, that his blood washes us clean from our sins, that he gave his life in exchange for ours. So there's reminders throughout. Um, in the New Testament, the apostles, they mentioned being remind, they reminded people a lot of things. In uh, Peter's letter, Peter's epistle, in 2 Peter 1.12, he says this, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. In other words, he said, you know what? You may already know this. In fact, you do know this, but I'm going to remind you of these things. He says, yes, I think it is right. As long as I am in this tent, 
meaning his body, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. That's why he wrote those things, those epistles. You know, those epistles were written to certain churches that had certain problems. That's basically what the epistles were. You know, the, the, the apostles, especially Paul, being one of, the, one of the main guys, would start a church and he'd go traveling on his missionary journeys and he'd hear back, hey Paul, there's this issue in the church. And Paul would write a letter. Well, this is how you deal with this issue. This is what God says. And those letters, was, most of them, a lot of them, is what comprises our New Testament. And they're reminders that for us, even though they were written to them, they're reminders for you and I about God and his faithfulness and how we are to live our lives. Paul was no different. Paul sent Timothy to Corinth to remind them of Paul's ways in Christ. After Paul started the church and he left, he sent Timothy there. Hey, Timothy, remind them of how I lived among them. Paul reminded Timothy in another epistle to stir up the gift of God which was in in him through the laying on of Paul's hands. In other words, Paul says, hey, Timothy, you you need to rekindle that spiritual gift that God has given you. You know, that's, sometimes that happens, right? You, you know that God's given you some spiritual gift. You're aware of it. You, maybe you've been exercising that gift by faith. And, and, and then after a while, it's like you kind of neglect it and stuff. Well, you know, we need to rekindle that. That's what Paul did for Timothy. In Jude's epistle, he reminded the believers what happened to those of the children of Israel that God saved out of, out of Egypt, but then they later dis- disbelieved. And there was a consequence to pay. And so Jude reminded them. So throughout Scripture, there are reminders. One of the important roles of a pastor, you know, it's not only to teach. You know, for me, if I had to teach you a new thing every week, I don't know that I could do it. Because it's inevitably, someone say, well, you know, I already have read that Scripture. I already know that thing. But one of, the, one of the most important roles of pastors not only is to teach, but it's also to remind God's people. Why? Because we forget. It just comes out of our mind. We don't think about it at the time. And so that's the purpose. That's what reminding is, is putting it back into your mind so that you remember things. Well, Paul has this in mind as he's finishing this epistle to the Titus. Titus is on the island of Crete. Paul had established the church. And then Paul had left for whatever reason. We don't know why. But he left Titus there on the island to, to set things in order, to, to fix, you know, to help people with their lives, and also to appoint elders throughout the cities and all the different churches there on Crete. And so this last part of this epistle of Titus, there's five main things that Paul wants Timothy to remind the saints of Crete. And we're going to look at that this morning. So the very first thing, the very first main thing he mentions to to, uh, Titus is to remember to be peaceable in our relationship to others around us. Remember to be peaceable or peaceful in our relationship to others around us. Look at verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. So the very first thing is in our relationship, Paul mentions here, in our relationship to those over us. Those who are in authority, the leaders, the powers, the, 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 the pol- well, politicians, but the, those that are elected in, in, in government over us. We're to be subject to rulers and authorities and to obey those in authority. You know, that word to be subject means to place under 
in an orderly fashion. In other words, we're to, we're to, be, we're to submit ourselves under authority and to be peaceful, law-abiding citizens. That was one of the hallmarks of the Christians in, the, or in that first generation. They were, they were law-abiding, peaceful people. Why do we need to be reminded of that? Well, I tell you what, it's very easy to forget and rebel against authority, especially when you don't agree with them. There's a lot of things that government's doing right now that I don't agree with. And the temptation is to rebel against it. And, you know, forget it. I'm going to ignore that. But that's not what we're to do. Today, you know, I, uh, Teresa and I, we were, I don't know if you guys heard about that standoff in Oregon, where they went into that national wildlife refuge. And um, anyways, I didn't know a whole lot about it. And so we were kind of doing a little research on it one night. And it kind of stems from a thing called the sagebrush rebellion if if you ever heard of it google it that's i find everything from googling right so anyways um the more that Teresa and i read about this my blood started boiling i'm like it is so unfair it is such an abuse of power in the lives of these people there in the in the west these ranchers and uh they there's overreach and it seems you know it's very frustrating right now you see people who are wealthy People who have power and they're seemingly getting away with all kinds of crime. And it's like, where's the justice in that? So it's very easy to want to reject and rebel against authority, but we're not to. We're to obey authority. Think of this. You know, we think it's bad in our day, but what about when Paul wrote this? When Paul wrote this, one of the most oppressive regimes was in place, the Roman Empire. They were heavily taxed. They, they were not their own citizens. They were citizens of Rome. They had to do what Rome said. There was a lot of oppression there. They didn't have a lot of freedom in that uh, empire. And, uh, and so and even in that day and age, Paul says, hey, obey your authority, those who are in authority over you. So it's a good thing to be reminded uh, in our relationship to those over us. The second thing is in our relationship to those all around us, our peers, our equals, he says, remember to be ready for every good work. You know, it's easy to forget that our lives are no longer our own, right? The Bible says you've been bought at a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Your life is no longer your own. You don't belong to you. You are not, you, or we are not supposed to be on the throne. God's supposed to be on the throne in our hearts. Our lives are not our own. And so we're to do those things that please God. We're to be on his agenda and not our own. But it's pretty easy to forget that. We go through the week and, you know, we got our own plans, we got our own schedules, uh, we pursue things um, when it's convenient, whatever it is. But Paul says here, remind those guys, remind the people on Crete to be ready for all just works, for all good things. Um, now this verse is tucked in, or this phrase is tucked in with verses dealing with interaction with others. So it looks like Paul is speaking about doing good and being you know, just to other people around you doing good things to those around you. He continues, he says, remember to speak evil of no one. That means to hurt someone's reputation or to slander them. Or, you know, sometimes we assassinate people, not physically, but we assassinate their character when we gossip about them. You know, we should be focusing on what is good and lovely in people instead of looking for and trying to expose what's bad in them. And so for those around us, man, we we need to uh, speak evil of no one. We need to remember to be peaceable. The King James Version, I love that. It says, no brawlers. 
And basically what it means is that you're not disposed to fight. You're not contentious. You're not quarrelsome. The opposite would be someone who's just, you know, they're, maybe they're just going through their day, but they're just, there's a boiling point. You know, they're just seething. They get this anger inside of them, and the minute you set it off, man, you just you say something wrong to them, or you do something, and that they just explode, and and uh, all that pent up anger just comes out and 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 flames out at you. You know, um, that's the opposite of what we should be. You know, those people are someone who always has to be right. You know, they they've 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 got to make their point, and it, it doesn't matter what you have to submit. You know, you, they want you to see their way, no matter what. That's what we're not to be: no brawlers. We're to remember to be gentle, and that really means to be fair, to be equitable, to be lenient, yielding to others, and unassertive. In other words, I don't necessarily have to have my way. I can I can step back and go. You know what? I'll let you have your way. That's okay. I'll I'll yield to you. That's what we're supposed to be. The opposite would be someone who always has to get their way, who's always uncompromising and basically selfish. So these are how we're to interact with each other around us. And third is in our relationship to those who we think are below us. Because be honest, all of us, we kind of, you know, we look at people and we, we, we kind of place them in a level, right? Well, that person's above me. They're more influential or whatever, you know. I respect them. They get, they're, they're above me. Uh, these are my peers, you know. They're, they're just like me and stuff. And, you know, they're no different than me. And then, and then we also look at others and go, well, they're, they're below me because they're not, they're not quite up to my level or whatever. We do that. That's, that's human nature, we put people on different levels. So, there's, so in our relationship to those who are below us, who we think are below us, because in reality, no one's below us. In reality, there's no one below us. But he says to remember to be humble. And it says to all men. That hum- word humble means it's also, uh, in the King James Version, it means showing meekness. You know, it's easy to be meek. It's easy to be humble before someone who intimidates us, someone who's powerful. Someone who's influential. It's pretty easy to be humble in our relationship with them because they're above us. But we're also to be humble even to those who you and I think are below us, who we think are inferior to us. We're to be humble to them as well. We're to be meek and humble to all men. And what that meekness, what it's talking about, it's really just talking about our inner attitude of our hearts where you and I, we don't diminish people in our own estimation. We don't look at them and go, well, you're less than me. You're not as important as me. You know, where we don't do that. So that's in dealing with other people. The second main thing that Paul wants to remind Titus or have Titus remind the people in those churches in Crete is to remember your past life and your present life. First of all, remember what you once were. Look at verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. Paul says, hey, remind these Christians, remember you once were foolish. You once were either not comprehending divine things, things of the Lord, things of God, or you did comprehend them, but you refused to obey them. You were being foolish. Remember, you once were like that. You knew the truth. You knew what you were supposed to do, but you chose not to do it. Remember that you were once disobedient, that at one time you chose not to obey God. 
Sometimes it's frustrating when you're sharing the gospel with people or you're trying to minister to people and they, they acknowledge what you're saying, but they're like, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do anyways. Doesn't that kind of get you mad sometimes? It's like, don't you see the truth? But we've got to remember, we were once like that too. There were people that would come into our lives that would share the gospel with us or talk to us. Hey, you know, you're in sin or whatever. And man, we were like, get away from me. I want to do my own thing. We were just like that before. Remember that you once were deceived, led astray, wandering through life, seduced by the enemy. This is important to remember because it's very easy to become judgmental and to lose compassion towards those who are like the Cretans. Remember in chapter 2? There was a quote from a poet that said, Cretans, they always lie. They're evil beasts and they're lazy gluttons. And Paul says, it's true, (laughs) they are. It's very easy to become judgmental and lose compassion towards people that are like that. But we have to remember, man, I once was like that. I once did some really stupid stuff. I once was deceived. You know, sometimes we get so angry at what people are doing, but we've got to realize, man, they're deceived. They're deceived by the enemy. Satan's deceived them. Remember that you used to serve lusts, uh, your lusts and pleasures. You used to pursue whatever your lustful flesh craved. Remember that you used to live in malice, spending your days endeavoring to do evil towards others. You go, that doesn't describe me. Well, what it's really talking about is envy and jealousy. Sometimes we get envious of people, we get jealous, and we kind of we wish that bad things would happen to them. They, they seem to get all the breaks, and man, I wish something bad would happen to them. And then something does happen, it's like, yeah, they, they're finally, you know. We used to be like that. We used to hate people and wish they were dead. That's what hatred is. Remember your past life, Paul says, or tells uh, Titus to tell uh, the people there. By the way, these qualities that I just described, all these different things, that should only describe your past life before Christ. I hope you're not feeling convicted today that's like, whoa. Because if you're a Christian, and these are describing some of your qualities, maybe you're envious or jealous or, you know, whatever, um, you're right now in in sin. (laughs) It's plain and simple. You've got to repent. This shouldn't be a description of us currently, but we all once were like that in our past. You know, when you do that, when you remember what you once were, it does give you a heart of compassion to those who are like what you used to be. God, when he was bringing the children of Israel into the promised land and he was giving them a nation, giving them land and everything, he said, you know what? You're not to mistreat foreigners that enter into your land. He said, because you once were foreigners, too, in a strange land. When they were in Egypt, they were foreigners. And you're not to mistreat foreigners. So we're we're to remember, we're no different than anybody else. We're saved by grace, praise God. But we're no different than anybody else. And then secondly, besides remembering who you are, remembering who you are now. That's a very important thing. Verse 4. But when the kindness and love of the God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So he says, when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. In other words, when Jesus Christ was born. Not by works of righteousness, in other words, not by anything that we did to earn it, but according to God's mercy he saved us. None of us were saved because we stopped sinning. Did you know that? None of us were saved because we started, you know, we also, we cleaned up our act. 
So God's like, well, I'm going to save that person. They're, not, they're no longer doing that thing anymore. I'm going to save them. God saved us while we were still sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross. We're only saved because of God's mercy. We all face it. We could admit it. We all were living like Cretans at one time or another. We were like, just like them. But we were saved through the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit. That word washing is only used twice here in Titus and in Ephesians 5.26. In Ephesians 5.26, Paul is speaking about the church being cleansed by the washing of the water of the word. So this word washing, it's, it's speaking about being cleansed. It's speaking about our, our being cleansed and cleansing. And we're saved through the cleansing of regeneration. That's another word. We don't use very often regeneration, but it's uh, also used two places only, here and in Matthew 19.28. Regeneration, it's basically two Greek words, palin, not Sarah, but palin, and it means again, and genesis, generation. And so it means to be like generation, you know, to be, to re, be re, well, it is regenerated, <laughs> basically, um, in Matthew 19:28, Jesus uses that word when he's speaking of the renewal of creation when he returns to the earth. Man, everything's going to be new when he rules and reigns on the earth. It's the same concept when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. In John 3:3, 3, 3, Jesus answered and said to him, said to Nicodemus, "Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." The words born again speaks of the same thing. It's the same concept as regeneration. In Ephesians 2.1, Paul says this, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. The word made alive speaks of the same thing as regeneration. So basically regeneration, it speaks of being a new creation, being born again, being made spiritually alive. That's, that's all what regeneration is speaking about. And then we're renewed. Let me go back to the verse here. We were saved through the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit. Again, renewing, that's also only used twice here and in Romans 12.2. And in Romans 12.2 it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what that word renewing, it's really speaking about the quality, not the quantity of renovation. Not how much you were renovated, but what's the result of your renovation. And the renovation, the quality of it, is that it results in a new creation. When you're regenerated by the Holy Spirit, you're a new creation. You're not the same person that you used to be. You know, we didn't earn our righteousness. It's by God's mercy that we're saved. Well, why is it so important to remember our past and our present life? Well, here's the deal. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, it's in John chapter 3, he said a few things that was really interesting. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And we've just had, uh, Jan just had a couple grandchildren born just recently. And I, every, every natural birth, is, it's a miracle, isn't it? I mean, I remember when our children were born, it's just like, it just, the, the, real, the reality, man, this is a miracle. Birth is a miracle. It's an amazing thing. The, bio, the, the, the you know, every baby that's born, they have an earthly mother and an earthly father. And that mother and that father, they can only impart the same life and nature that they receive from their parents. 
and they received, their parents received it from their parents, their parents received it from their parents, and it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. That which is born of the flesh is always flesh. It always has the same life and the same nature, which, by the way, is sinful. But Jesus said that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Because when you and I are reborn, when we're born again, when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, man, it's the miracle of rebirth as well. You know, we have now a Heavenly Father, and the Heavenly Father imparts to us a new life, which is eternal. The moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do you know that you, are, you have eternal life? That dying is just, you, you just, dying for a believer, one minute you close your eyes, the next minute you're there in the presence of the Lord and Jesus Christ our Savior. I mean, that's just, it's, death is not the same as it was. You have eternal life the moment you accept Christ as your Savior. And not only that, but we have a, a new nature. You see, it's so important for us to understand that. You know, the Father, God the Father, is the author of our salvation. The Bible teaches that. Jesus, of course, is the means. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way of salvation. And it's the Holy Spirit is the agent or the one who actually does the regenerating and renewing in our lives. Verse 6, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says, Whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on you and I abundantly, and that word means generously or richly or without measure. You know what's cool about Christianity? There's no levels in Christianity. There's not like, you know, some, I remember, you know, not that I was looking into it, but I remember reading about one of these cults, and I forgot the name of it now, but uh, they have these different levels of clear. You guys maybe have heard of it before, and I, I can't even name what it is. Dianetics, maybe that's what it was. But anyways, um, and anyways, they have these different levels, and you attain different levels. And there's a lot of religions that are like that, right? You have to attain different places. There are no degrees of salvation or levels to earn or arrive at. Each one of us, who, if you've put your trust in Christ as your Savior, you've been the Holy Spirit's been poured out on you abundantly. You, you don't have more of the Holy Spirit than someone else. The Holy Spirit's been poured out on you and I. Um, so each one of us who's put our trust in Christ for our salvation, we've been fully cleansed, we're born again, and we're new creations in Christ. Man, we're not the same people that we used to be. And the Holy Spirit has renewed us, and he's continuing that process of renewing us each day. We're cleansed, we're born again, and we're new creations in Christ. Not only that, but the Bible says we are justified. That means you're innocent in the eyes of God the Father. And it doesn't end there. <laughs> it sounds like one of those commercials. Not only that. Um, and we're also the heirs of salvation. You have a guaranteed inheritance awaiting you. Eternal life. Spending time, you know, heaven is our inheritance. And so it's important to remember what we used to be when we're dealing with others. But it's also important to remember who we are now, and that is a new creation. Why? Because of the next reminder here. Paul says, basically, remember to be proactive in good works. And you go, well, that's not what I read in my verse, but we'll explain it. You see, I'm no longer the Cretan I once was. I need to live my life now as a new creation. 
We, we, we shouldn't be living like we were before we were saved. Now we should be living according to our new nature. Verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly. In other words, man, just keep reminding them constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. You know, you and I were saved because of God's mercy and according to his grace. There's nothing that you and I have done to earn our righteousness. It's all through faith in what Christ Jesus did on our behalf. But James, in his epistle, writes that faith without works is dead. If you're a new creation, you need to be acting like you're a new creation. You need to be living like you're a new creation. Because we're cleansed, we have an eternal life, and we're new creations, we should not live like we used to live in the past, but we should remember to live as we were meant to live, a life that glorifies God. It's an important thing because we can forget. Man, we forget that, man, I'm a new creation. I don't need to live like I used to live. I can live the way God intended me to live. And so we should be careful, which means to consider, to be anxious, to maintain good works. Now, that word maintain, man, I think it's a poor word to use in the translation here. Because in my mind, maintaining means you're just doing enough to get by. I'm just maintaining things, you know. I'm just going to do enough good works, you know. Just, just I'll do. I'll go to church. Maybe I'll, you know, clean up chairs after. You know, I'll just do. I'll maintain. That's not what it means. The word maintain. It's two words. The first word is pro, which means before, or over, and the second word is histemi or histemi, and it means to place or to stand. And so it literally means to preside over or to rule over. That's what it literally means. But what it implies is to be forward in or as a leader, taking the lead in doing good works. And that's why I say we need to be proactive in good works. We need to be pursuing good works. And that good, it means morally good, useful, profitable things. Because you and I have a new life, we should be taking the lead in doing what is morally good, what is useful and profitable with respect to eternity. That's how we should be living our lives. Everything that we should be doing should have an impact on eternity instead of useless things, wasting our time. Wasting. I look back at all the years that I've wasted. When you know, I was born again, I, I accepted Christ as my Savior, and then I rebelled, and I, I'd, go, I'd, I'd be with the Lord, then without the Lord. But, you know, I'd be back and forth like a yo-yo. And all those years, man, I could have been just on fire serving Jesus, and I wasn't. And I look back, and, man, I wasted a lot of time. But you know what? God restores, and God gives. God is so gracious. He gave me. A, he gave me a new start. And man, he just he he restored those things, those years that I wasted. Man, he's allowing me to make up for time now, serving him, and he'll do that to each one of us. You know. Again, remember I said that our heavenly Father has imparted His nature to us when we were regenerated. You know, the Bible says that God planned our salvation even before sin happened. Even before time began, God planned your salvation. He was proactive in saving you. Wait, I mean, he, he's a planner. He's not a procrastinator. I'm a procrastinator. God's not a procrastinator. He planned before time is. You know, you and I have that same nature. We should be proactive, planning and being bent towards being, doing things that are good, useful, and beneficial for eternity. That should, be our, that should be what we do. That should be our motive, man. 
And then the next thing, the next thing that Paul reminds Timothy or has Timothy remind the people is remember how to deal with divisive people. Remember, Titus has got a very difficult ministry. He's leading the Cretans. And the Cretans, they got a bad reputation. And Paul says, it's true. they're, They're like this. And so verse 9, he says, But avoid foolish disputes and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. I used to love this saying. I, I don't, it's hard to soar with eagles when you are surrounded by turkeys. You know, It's true, isn't it? It really is true. It's hard to soar with eagles when you're surrounded by turkeys. I mean, it's like, they hold me back, you know. <laughs> well, let's face it. We're surrounded by people that are contentious, that are quarrelsome. They want to dispute with you over unprofitable and useless things. Some people, they just love to argue for the sake of argument. They just love to dispute foolish things that are not salvation issues. I come across that all the time. I like what Barclay, who's a commentator, says this, it's much easier to discuss theological questions than to be kind and considerate and helpful at home or efficient and diligent and honest at work. And you and I both have come across people, they can wax eloquent. They're philosophers. They know all this stuff about the scriptures. They can tell you all these, all these unknown facts that nobody else knows, but you look at their life and go, yeah, but you know what? Yeah, you're, I see your head knowledge, but it's definitely not heart knowledge because it doesn't, doesn't change the way you live your life. If someone's dragging you into strife and division, Paul basically is telling them, hey, avoid them. If it's someone in the church, admonish them. Of course, we're to do it in humility and in love, right? We're not to look down on them and judge them, but we're to come alongside them and admonish them. You may need to repeat it twice. But if they continue, Paul says, tell them, hey, just turn away from them. Just reject them. And while that word means reject, it basically means don't continue in fellowship with them. Don't keep putting yourself into that same situation. Just like, you know what? Back off. And those people that are so strong-willed and self-willed, they're unwilling to be subject to one another because you've come to them and you said, you know, brother A or sister, can I share this with you? And they're like, ah, they don't want to hear it. They're basically self-condemned. You don't have to condemn them. They're self-condemned. God will deal with them. Just leave them alone. So remember how to deal with divisive people. And then lastly, the last thing that Paul wants Titus to remind the people on Crete is to remember others. Verse 12. When I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis. For I've decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Those who love us in the faith, uh, greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Paul was going to send Artemis or Tychicus, maybe he hadn't decided who, to Titus. Um, It sounds like to relieve him of ministry there because Paul needed Titus uh, to come to where he was there at Nicopolis. Now, we don't know if that actually happened. I don't know if it's recorded in the scriptures. Apparently, Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos, they were the brothers that Paul sent this letter that Titus is reading 
this, this epistle of Titus came by the hands of either Zenos the lawyer and uh, Apollos, by both of them it sounds like. They were messengers. And so Paul told Titus to remember them, to meet whatever needs they had so that they could continue their journey because they had more work to do. It's important to remember those who minister in different capacities. It's important to remember other people. Remember, you know what's really cool here? Although Paul agreed with the poet back in chapter 2, the poet's name, by the way, was Epimenides, who said that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons, it didn't change the fact that Paul loved him. Loved them, excuse me. In verse 14, notice he calls them our people. He says, let our people learn to be proactive in good works. Let them learn to do good works. You know, it's a natural thing to be more focused on ourselves in our own needs. That's our human nature. I want to take care of myself. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm okay. You know, that, that's my focus. That's our human nature. And Paul says, let our people learn to meet urgent needs. Paul is really telling Titus to remind the saints at Crete to be others-centered and not self-centered, not to be selfish. And you need to learn to be not selfish. You know, we got all these beautiful children here in the church. I love every single one of them. They're, they're sweethearts. But you know when you have a child and you never, ever make them share? You, you know, you just basically give in to every whim that they have. You know what you end up with? <laughs> Spoiled brats, right? And they can't interact with any other kids because, you know, the, the other, other boy thinks, oh, you know, I'm going to take that toy. And they whack him over the head. You're not taking my toy. That's mine. And that's our human nature. We're just like that. We're just like bigger kids and people take something, you hit them over the head with it, you know? Children's nature from the very earliest age is to be selfish. And if you don't correct that selfishness, the child's going to be miserable to be around. You have to correct that behavior. You have to train a child to not be selfish. Well, how do you train a child to not be selfish? I bet you every parent in here knows. You make them share. Hey, you take it from me. Hey, we're going to share this with Johnny. And you give it to Johnny. And they might cry and throw a fit and everything. It's like, you know what? You need to learn to share. We need to learn to be other-centered. Because our human nature isn't that way. My human nature is just to worry about me. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We're to be other-centered. We're to be going, I wonder if that person has a need. And we're to meet urgent needs because, you know, sometimes needs, you know, people say, I need this. And it's like, well, do you really need it? I don't want to be a big judge in that. But we're to meet urgent needs. I would encourage you in those situations, praise. Lord, do you want me to do something? And if God reveals a need to you, sometimes it's it's funny. In the past, I've had people tell, you know, God's laid some burden on someone. And they come up to me and go, you know, pastor, there's this burden that I'm dealing with. And I think the church should do this. I'm like, oh, really? Well, you know, God didn't share that burden with me, but if he shared it with you, maybe, maybe, maybe he's telling you that you need to go do that. Maybe he's revealing it so that you'll meet that need. Because we need to be other-centered. Do you want to be other-centered? Do you want to learn to meet others' needs? Do you want to, be lean, uh, do you want to learn to be fruitful in your new life as, as a new creation? Then remember others. You know, the cool thing is, the blessing is that you and I have the abundant blessing of the Holy Spirit in our life to enable us to do these things. 
God doesn't just say, hey, do these things and I hope it works out for you. He says, no, do these things and I've given you my spirit to enable you to do this. I'm equipping you to do these things. You just submit to the Holy Spirit and he'll take care of it. That's what God's telling us to do. I want to close with this last verse and it's in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Paul writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, you are a new creation. That old past, it's, it's gone. But now we need to start living like we're a new creation. Amen? Amen. All right, why don't you stand up? Let's go, Lord, in prayer. You know, if you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, all the stuff I've been talking about, you're like, you know what? I'm not in that relationship. I want to, I'd love to give you an opportunity to pray to receive Christ. And so um, I'm going to just, we're going to do that right now, in fact. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray to receive Christ. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he gave his life for your sins. We can't earn our salvation. And so God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life, who died a sinner's death, even though there was no sin in him. He became sin for us. He died on the cross and he rose again on the third day. And now he imparts forgiveness and new life to each one of us if we'll just repent of our sins and turn to him and believe that he died on the cross for us. We're saved by faith. And so if you've never taken that step, I want to encourage you this morning to do that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And if you have not made that step and you want to do that this morning, you can become, you know, you, can, you came in here as a certain person, you know, you can leave a totally different person today by just giving your heart to Jesus this morning. You could be a new creation this morning. Think of all this beautiful snow out there. Everything looks white and clean. You know, the Bible says the, the blood of Christ, it washes us whiter than snow. It's pretty white out there, but you can be cleaned even whiter than that by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if, if, if you uh, want to accept Christ as your Savior this morning, just follow along with me as you're praying there where you're standing. And then we'll close. Father, I come before you this morning. Lord, I thank you for bringing me here this morning. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. Father, I thank you for dying on for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. And I thank you that he paid the price that I couldn't pay. And I believe that you rose again from the dead. And now I invite you, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart, to be my Lord and my Savior. I turn away from my sins. I want to be a child of God this morning. Please make me a new creation, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, I don't know if anybody prayed that prayer this morning. Maybe somebody who's listening on the internet will be praying that prayer. But Lord, I, I just thank you for the reminders this morning that we are new creations in Christ. Father, maybe we've forgotten that. Maybe we've got kind of caught up into the flesh again, following our old patterns, our old things, Lord. And we don't have to do that anymore. We've been set free by you, Lord Jesus. And so I pray that you would help us to live the lives that glorify you, to be doing things that are useful and profitable, that have an impact for eternity, Lord. And so thank you for the reminders this morning. Lord, I thank you for each and every person here this morning. 
And I pray your blessing upon them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.